Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight will be study number 9 of Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to be reading from Revelation chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And we were discussing in our last study the first part of this phrase, or this verse, Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And we we uh, were looking at the truth that we can read many things in the world and afterwards experience no blessing. This applies to the world's books, its newspapers, its magazines, whatever, its religion, its philosophies. It may be interesting on some level. We might learn something on some level. It may amuse us on some level. But at the end of the period of time, we will have learned nothing about God, nothing about the Bible, nothing about truth. And there would have been no blessing of any kind. Blessing comes from reading of the Word of God, the Bible. And God says this here plainly, Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. So an individual who reads the Bible is blessed. Well, what about an unsaved person? Is it true that an unsaved person who reads the Bible or hears the Bible is blessed? And the answer is yes, to some degree, in a way that benefits them concerning living their life in this world. Reading the Bible is a blessing, and there are many reasons why. Because it teaches us how to live a good life in this world. Even unsaved people can experience some degree of blessing if they follow the Bible's laws. For instance, the Bible says, Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. We should honor our parents. The Bible commands we are not to divorce. The Bible tells us to be honest and upright of good character, and and so on. Now, if people follow these directions, these commands of God, these laws of God, will they be beneficial? Yes, of course, because if someone steals, well, they're not doing anything good. Well, they, they could prosper, perhaps, momentarily, but what happens when the police catch them? And they're sent to jail. Has that been a good thing for them, that they were involved in stealing or killing? If they're caught and sentenced and even possibly executed, is that something good? Or someone who lies and just gets a reputation as an untrustworthy person, is is that a good thing for them, that people doubt what they say? that people look at them as someone of a questionable character? No. What about someone who fails to honor their parents? They'll have difficulties in their family. Or someone who doesn't listen to God concerning marriage and divorce, and they get a divorce. That won't be anything good for that person. 
despite what the world says, and it certainly won't bring anything good to the children if there are any in the marriage. If people, unsaved as well as saved, follow God's guidelines, the Ten Commandments, and all the commandments, to whatever degree they do follow them, they will experience blessing. They can experience staying out of jail and and having an upstanding reputation and having peace in their home and their home life can run well. See, God's word, the Bible, really is a manual for how a person, a creature created in the image of God is to properly and rightly live their life. And if we would do it absolutely perfectly, well, there would be no fault, no transgression, but of course we don't. But to what degree we do observe the law of God and keep his commandments, we can be blessed. For someone who does not involve themselves in drunkenness, there is blessing. They can save themselves liver damage and other physical ailments in their life. To someone who doesn't smoke because the Bible says thou shall not kill, they can save themselves the awful disease of cancer in their throat or other places and and so on. So there is blessing to hearing the Bible and to following its guidelines, its commandments for every individual. You know, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, I'll turn there and read this, a very interesting thing. In in this chapter of faith, we read of Isaac, who was the, the son of promise. And it says in Hebrews 11, verse 20, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. And that's all we read. Isaac blessed both Jacob and Esau. And he did so concerning things to come. Now, we understand what that means. Isaac was a true child of God. And he knew the gospel, uh, of course, uh, in a far more limited way than we who have the whole Bible know it today. But he knew many truths of the word of God. And as a faithful father, he shared them with his children, just as fathers today will read the scriptures with their children and and talk to them about the things of God. Well, Isaac was a faithful father, and so he told his children concerning things to come. What things to come? Well, we read in the book of Acts in chapter 24 that the apostle Paul had an opportunity to speak of the scriptures when he was a prisoner. And it says in verse 25, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. You see, when the believer speaks of the gospel of the word of God, we tell all the truth, the whole counsel of God. We tell people what we know that the Bible says. And the Bible says that we're sinners and due to our sin, we're under the wrath of God. We're subject to 
the judgment of God of a final and complete destruction, annihilation. And we share things that come. We can also tell people, and certainly a father would tell his children, that there is a new heaven and a new earth that God intends to bring to pass. And the ones that will be able to live on that earth and in the presence of God forevermore are those that God saves through the Lord Jesus Christ, or as Isaac would have said it, through the Messiah, through God who takes the sins of his people and saves his elect and grants them that eternal salvation. These are the things to come that Isaac blessed both Jacob and Esau with. He didn't just speak to Jacob, but he shared it with both of his children. They were twins, God tells us. And God made decision before they were born. We can read about this in Romans chapter 9. God determined to love Jacob and to hate Esau. And he did this by predestinating Jacob to obtain his eternal salvation and not by saving Esau. Esau was not one of God's elect. And so, as a result, God loved one and not the other. And yet both who are used in the Bible to represent elect and non-elect or saved and unsaved, both hear the warnings and the blessings of the Scripture and all that they are told by Father Isaac is a blessing. It is a blessing to read the prophecies of this book, to hear what God has to say to his creatures, to man made in his image, and to his elect people. And so we're greatly privileged We're really tremendously blessed that we have Bibles and we can pick them up and read them and hear the words of God. Let's continue on now um, in verse 3. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. Now there is blessing on one level to all that hear Yes, even the unsaved, they can be blessed by reading the Bible, by following it outwardly to whatever degree they're able to do. They can experience blessing by attempting to live their life by the guidelines that the Lord lays down. But there is a blessing infinitely greater that far surpasses that kind of a blessing, and that is the blessing that comes only to those that God saves. And these people will be the only ones equipped by God, as the Lord gives them a new heart and a new spirit, to actually keep the commandments of God. That is perfectly without fail or error, without transgression. And they can do this because God has given them that new heart, which is sinless, it is perfect, and it is from that heart that they now keep the law of God without any transgression of any kind. 
And so they are blessed in the sense that they have been granted eternal life and granted the tremendous blessing of keeping God's law from the new heart that God has put within them. And this new heart has caused them to keep God's statutes and to do his commandments. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, and uh, this is a familiar verse, but it applies to what we're reading here in Revelation. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And that's why it's such a blessing for someone, as it says here in Revelation 1, 3, that blessed is he that readeth and they that hear. Yes, there's certain blessing to that. But above that, and keep those things which are written therein. And written there in the Bible is commandments of God. And so it's a blessing to keep those things because that would be evidence that we love Christ, that we are able to keep his commandments. And of course, we only love him, we have to remember, because he first loved us. That that is, if if God didn't first do the work within us in saving us and granting us salvation through the faith of Christ and not our own faith, if he didn't change us, if he didn't turn us, we would never turn to be able to keep his commandments. And so it is a wonderful blessing that God has worked within his people. Okay, let's look at the last phrase here in verse 3. Again, it says, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. The Greek word that's translated as time can also be translated as season, and it often is. And the Greek word that here is translated as at hand, Eges, Strong's 1451, is often used to describe something very near. Actually, I can't find any instance where it's not talking about something very near, whether it be in terms of distance or in terms of a feast or in terms of of other things. Normally, it is referring to something that is nigh or close at hand. For instance, regarding distance, it says in John 11, And verse 18, and this is just one example of a few concerning distance. It says, Now Bethany was nigh unto Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off. 15 furlongs isn't really that far. So Bethany was a town that was relatively close to Jerusalem. Now also in John, in chapter 7, It says in verse 2, Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. And and shortly following this, in the same context, it says in verse 8, Go ye up unto this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. And then verse 10, But when his brethren were gone up, 
Then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. This shows that when verse 2 says the Jews' Feast of Tabernacles was at hand, that in time it was very much at hand. It wasn't long at all from what we can gather in reading the next few verses before the feast was underway. And so the word at hand had to do with something right there in proximity, in this case, in time. It wasn't long at all, and the season of the feast for the Feast of Tabernacles was there. Now, we also read, and this is what makes this word so interesting, in Matthew 24, we find this Greek word, egus, if I'm pronouncing it right. I I don't spend too much time concerning myself with uh, pronouncing a Greek word. I, I try the best I can. But in Matthew 24, it says in verse 32, Now learn a parable of the fig tree, when his branch is yet tender, and putteth forth leaves. Ye know that summer is nigh. The word nigh is the same Greek word egis. The word nigh is the Greek word egis, translated as at hand in our verse in Revelation. And it's also found in verse 33. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. There we find God uses that word two times in those two verses to indicate that the judgment of God or the final return of Christ at the very end of the world is near. It is at hand. And it is used in relationship to the fig tree. Now, this is found in Mark 13, the parallel chapter, and also in Luke 21. Uh, I'd like to turn to Luke 21, and we'll read a few verses here, beginning in verse 27 through 32. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth. Ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Well, here the Lord is using that word to indicate something is quickly about to happen once you see these things, or verse 28 of Luke 21 says, when these things begin to come to pass... Then look up and lift up your heads. Now, if we read Luke 21 in the previous verses, it's talking about the judgment on the churches. Uh, Jerusalem compassed with armies in verse 20. These be the days of vengeance in verse 22. Verse 25 speaks of signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. 
and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, and the powers of heaven being shaken, and all these things. And then verse 27 states, And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And verse 28, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. What? How how can it be that redemption draweth nigh when apparently the world is ending, the powers of heaven are shaking, the Son of Man is coming in the cloud with power and great glory? Isn't that the actual redemption time, the time when the elect receive their new resurrected spiritual bodies? Isn't that describing the end of the world? Why is it necessary that when these things begin to come to pass, that we must look up because our redemption draweth nigh? It's not there. It's still off a ways. And how can that be if everything being described is happening? Well, of course, the answer is that the things that are being described are all spiritual. The armies compassing Jerusalem about is spiritual language concerning the assault against the churches during the Great Tribulation. The language of signs and the sun and the moon and so on is spiritual. The powers of heaven being shaken is a spiritual reference. The Son of Man coming in a cloud is a spiritual reference. So when you and I and the people of God see these things come to pass, then uh, we can know that our redemption is nigh. Now, back in Matthew 24, it also says in Matthew 24, 33, So likewise, ye when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Well, the word see is used. It's ido. Uh, the, the Greek word ido, and it's used in verse 15 of Matthew 24. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Now, has anyone ever seen the abomination of desolation with their physical eyes? And the answer is no. You can't see Satan, and that's just another name for him. In the churches, you you can't see him at all. He's an angel, a fallen angel, a spirit being. And how can we see him then as God says? Well, the word Ido is often translated as no. As a matter of fact, in verse 36 of Matthew 24, where it says, But of that day and hour knoweth, no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. The word knoweth is the same Greek word ido. And so we have every right to go back to verse 33 and to read it this way. So likewise ye, when ye shall know all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. When 
you see or know these things happening, um, these signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, when you know from the Bible what it means that the powers of heaven are shaking, when you know from the word of God what it means that Christ is coming on the clouds, and, and so on, that when you know from the scripture that we have entered into the day of judgment, that God has put out the lights of the gospel typified by those celestial bodies, then look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. It is close at hand. In other words, we have been moving along as we have lived through the days of the Great Tribulation through Jesus' response to his disciples, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And we now are able to readily answer many of the passages and verses found in Matthew 24 and, and its related chapters where we know exactly what God is saying and we have progressed into the period after the tribulation where we can also now explain these other verses. And this is strong evidence, strong encouraging evidence from the Bible to us that we are nigh the return of the Lord Jesus at the end of the day of judgment. Once this period of judgment day concludes its last day, then uh, we will see the final destruction of this world and we will see the Lord Jesus Christ as he gathers his people to forever be with him and we turn our attention to the eternal future that awaits.